G'day there, guys, and welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your hosts, Zach Clark, and as always, joined by my fellow co-host, Brendan. Brendan, how are you going? I'm going well, Zach. It's uh, good to be recording once again, and we're actually having a bit of a consistent rhythm here. We're actually getting through episodes and uh, making the, well, summer for me go pretty quickly and winter for you go pretty quickly. Uh, I know it can be a bit confusing that we're sort of in different hemispheres, different spheres, but uh, we're making it work and uh, we're here again to talk about a great topic relating to the video games. Yes, uh, we're operating on different time zones, which is um, always a, a challenge and an interesting thing. But, you know, time is such an interesting construct, particularly when you're in a video game. Like, you know, sometimes you're doing something and all of a sudden time just reverses as a video game character and you're back to where you started and you don't know why. Because probably the godly player has decided to not save your progress and have just let you go back to where you were for whatever reason, uh, which is my awkward but uh, hopefully successful way of transitioning <laughs> in today's topic, which is about sort of a, a bit of a more of a lighthearted topic this week. But if, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 has come out at the time of recording seeming to be a huge success, which is good, because I think the game definitely deserves it. We were just discussing before recording our experience playing it um, in our two sort of groups that we're, we're doing separately. But one of the things that has come out of it, one of the headlines is about save scumming, which if uh, you're not familiar with the term, effectively refers to, you know, not saving or reverting a save back to an earlier point in time to undo a consequence or something that's occurred negatively in the game, which is quite important in a game like Baldur's Gate because um, either through choice or through accidental <laughs> actions or just luck because the game does uh, work on a, you know, you roll dice or virtual dice to sort of determine outcomes, you know, and you just want to undo that decision or that outcome and, and go back and try again. Which has which has gotten a lot of you know heated debate on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So we thought we'd take a stab at giving our two cents and trying to unpack it in in a way that's probably far too serious for for what the validity of that topic is. But uh, hopefully, it's uh, you know we get to something interesting as a result. Well, I could just uh, butt in here and ruin your entire topic, Zach, and have the shortest episode ever of blowing cartridges by saying, well. However, people want to play games is fine with them, fine with me, fine with you. And uh, there's that. If people want to do incrementally play through a game, uh, make a decision, decide, oh, well, now I want to see what happens if I did something else and uh, go back and reload a save and do that other, um, make that other choice, make that other decision and see what happens, like that's up to them. But I think the topic is a bit deeper than that because I think, well, never I think. I, it's something that exists in a lot of different games. It's not just CRPGs like Baldur's Gate, even though it generally is, I guess, prevalent and present in RPGs, in games like your Baldur's Gate. Like the other game I'm playing at the moment is Fire Emblem, and uh, we'll, I'll get into that uh, later when we advance the topic a bit. But that's, I think 
there's been some design choices in that game that have been directly in, well, reacting to save scumming as a phenomenon, reacting to why people decide to save scum, why they think that it's a, well, I guess, essential to experiencing the game in an optimal level. And I think that's probably the starting point of this topic of why people do it is that they feel like they want to see everything in the game, that they might have made a split-second decision that you make the decision and you think, oh, no, I actually don't like the outcome of it. Uh, This is a long game or I have a finite amount of time to play video games. So, sure, I could have another playthrough and go the other direction, go the other route and see what it is. But this is probably going to be my one playthrough of this game. Therefore, to improve the experience I'm having, I need to revert back to the save point and try again and do what I actually wanted to do. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, I, you know, I think, as you said, we could just leave it as these are all mostly single-player experiences. So you can, when I say single-player, obviously Baldur's Gate has a co-op component. But but what I mean is it's a it's not a competitive game. So there's no uh, way you can affect another player's experience without, you know, everyone being on board, right? Like, so if you're playing co-op, you've kind of all got to agree to, to the save mm-hmm. scum. I mean, I guess in theory... Someone who who's the master of the save could um, go rogue and just decide that we're, they're not happy with things and and undo things uh, against the will of everyone else. But I'm sure that's the a, a very quick way to kill a a, a group of friends uh, if that's uh, if that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's it is something that's worth discussing. I think it's also worth discussing to sort of help people decide whether they want to save scum, which sounds weird because, again, is that that big of a serious decision? But I think it can be as you, when we are talking about such lengthy experiences like Baldur's Gate, uh, but even other things like Fire Emblem's not that short either. Uh, and, you know, I, I've got a few other games I'll probably bring up as we sort of progress through the conversation. Because one thing that I, I... I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I remember Larry and... Um, which is the studio that made Baldur's Gate, they made sort of a a request or a, a point to players is that they really didn't want people trying to to min-max the game, but, you know, at least not in their first playthrough. They're like, just go in, play the game, sort of see what happens. Don't stress too much about am I running the optimal, you know, build the optimal experience. And this concept of sort of like min-maxing, I think is really, really prevalent now in these again, in the RPG space, I would say, wherever you can. Um, I mean, you know, like if you just think of like from software games, it's like if you were playing in a, in a stream or in a setting where someone can watch you, how much criticism you get from people being like, oh, you've got your build wrong. Yeah, you should be using this weapon or this armor and blah, 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 blah. People just sort of like love to show that they know the optimal, most efficient, best way of, of doing something. And I guess some, in, in a way, they lose, I guess, that uh, that native way of, A, figuring it out for yourself, but B, having a, just a different experience than what is the quote-unquote optimal build. So, I mean, I know what your thoughts are that, Brendan. Like, do you, you know, are you someone that likes to have the, the best quote-unquote optimal, you know, build or character sort of progression or whatever it may be based on, you know, maybe doing research before you go into a game? Or are you more you know keen just to sort of see what happens and and natively figure it out yourself 
There's an adjacent topic here, which is the use of walkthroughs of strategy guides for video games, which I believe we have touched upon in a previous episode. I don't know. I can't recall how much depth we actually went into it, but there's some similarities there in terms of having an optimal playthrough, not missing things in a game, not having having the best experience you can in, again, the finite time you have in that game. Uh, Myself, personally, it does depend on the game. So for something like Fire Emblem, I will occasionally look into the Fire Emblem wiki, have a look at, well, which characters are, like what are the growth stats of some characters because that's a game where who you take in your party, who you use throughout the journey of levelling up does matter because that can impact the game, particularly if you're playing on some of the harder difficulties. I never play on the hardest difficulty of that game because I think particularly in strategy RPGs, those just become, I guess, random number generators that are designed to quash your dreams and just make life not fun for you. And that sort of creates experiences where if you don't min-max, you can't get through it. So I play on, I generally play on hard mode, which I find has the right balance. For something like Boulder's Gate, where you do have the opportunity to make your own character and choose stats, I kind of will look at the information the game makes available to you. Look at, see what what information it gives you at a base level in the character creator and make decisions based on that. And sure, that that's not going to allow you to min-max. That's not going to create, I guess, the best build you can because, well, it's a tabletop RPG in effect, Baldur's Gate 3. So there's all different parameters like races, um, background bonuses. Um, there's There will be dynamics and dualisms related to well, which race you choose, which class you choose, and like you can get synergies going if you're really into understanding those things and building those things. And I think doing research beforehand on the internet can allow you to do that if you really want to. And it's not a bad thing if you do want to do that because you mentioned your Bloodborne's Elden Ring from Software games. Those are hard games. Min-maxing can help you get through those games. So there's definitely a benefit in doing it. It's definitely... So I, I can understand save scumming from that perspective of if we want to talk about, well, why would you save scam? What choices, what decision-making is going through your brain when you're thinking about, well, do I reload or not? It can be the case of, well, I need to go back now because I've put myself in a position that will make finishing this game very difficult, if not impossible. And when you're thinking about saving in a game, reloading, I think that's an interesting topic in itself because, uh, I'm going off a wild tangent right now, but there's elements of some games will lock you into save. Some games you'll progress past a certain point. There might be an auto save and you can't go back and you've might have you might have actually made that playthrough impossible to get through. So I think that's sort of less and less of a design choice now these days than it was in the past. But that's another reason why some veteran video game players will have all these saves um, slots um, filled up in games that allow you to have more than one, two, three save slots just to, just as a contingency plan because they might have experienced in the past some irreparable moment that they lost hours and hours of gameplay. I think, I think that's something also worth touching on as well, which is that, as you said, there are kind of ways developers can 
limit or minimize the ability for someone to quote unquote save scum. I don't think there's any perfect methods because people, you know, there's always going to be a bit of a window where if you you turn off your system or your PC as, as quickly as you can, you can probably get out of a of a auto save or whatever it may be. Maybe there's a risk you might you know corrupt your save, but you know besides the point, there's there's no ability to make a, a airtight system that are, uh, prevents it unless you're an on, always online game, which which in which case you're probably an MMO or something, and it's a very different conversation at that point. But yeah, and I guess why I bring that up is 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 you know because there are a lot of people judging those who are doing the save scumming sort of saying it's cheating saying it's against the spirit of the game but if the developer hasn't sort of taken steps to try and stop it i guess you know are is that sort of the these these judgmental people that i'm referring to uh misreading or over over estimating how much the you know the developers actually care maybe maybe you know the answer is that they don't really care that much about whether people are going back, um, you know, five, ten minutes or even an hour and and undoing sort of things that they had previously done. Uh, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on, you know, is it kind of the developer's responsibility to try and stop it versus like, you know, it's it's uh, if, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's more, again, like a player choice kind of thing. I don't know if you have any uh, view on, on that. Um, and how people are sort of assuming or reading into, in this case, Larian's, um, you know, view on on the whole topic. I think it is a degree, a large degree of player choice, because if I think about situations where I have saved scummed, it is generally in narrative-driven or narrative-based in many ways RPGs where I've made a choice something's happened and I'm not particularly happy with that outcome. So I'll reload because that's not actually what I wanted. That's not how I wanted the character, the route to go down. And sometimes that's because particularly in Bioware and some Obsidian games, sometimes it's not quite clear what will happen when you make a particular choice. And those are games that are heavily based on or dialogue choices. So if you choose a dialogue option and something's happened and that's not, and you're role-playing a particular character and that wasn't your plan for what you wanted that character to do, that could be directly impacting your experience of the game, how you're enjoying that playthrough. So you'll want to go back and redo it. Sure, the I guess the converse argument to that scenario would be, well, you're in character, you're, you've made that choice, you should just eat it up and live with it and, and continue down that path. And I guess for some players, that's a valid way of doing it. They'll find it, I guess, in some ways quite enriching to the experience to see some of the other options, some of the other things that the game throws at you. But for other people, that is fundamentally undermining the experience and having that option to go back and reload, even if they have to replay some of the gameplay to get to that decision, I guess the tree where the decisions branch off is something that should be available. I think that's really important, actually, because it's not even just RPGs, right? It's any sort of narrative game with a choice. Like if you think of, you know, your your branching path visual novels or you're like, you know, things like your Until Dawns from like, uh, is it Super Giant? Super Massive. Super Massive. It's one or the other. Um, 
super massive that do those uh, the like Man and Medan and those kinds of things, or you know, uh, Life is Strange from Don't Nod. Anything where you know you, you you just have to select options at some point or do certain actions to dictate which path the story goes. Yeah, and, and as you said, obviously Bioware RPG is another great example. Uh, yeah, sometimes you like you pick something where it's like, oh, you know. Thanks very much. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to thank this person. And then you click it and then your character comes out like really aggressively, like sarcastically, like, thanks very much. And then it's like, oh, your relationship with this person's negative now. Mm. It's like, oh, that's not that's not <laughs> how I thought that was going to go. Um, I think that's probably a, an interesting. And so why I, I sort of wanted to bring that up is, you know, coming back to, you know, a developer trying to find a way to stop you from going backwards and, and save scumming. Alternatively, I think it's actually more important for developers to make sure that if you are trying to create an experience where choice is and and role playing a certain choice is kind of a focus of the game and, and people being immersed in those decisions, then it's really important that you master the art of making it clear and and non-ambiguous as to what the consequences are which is probably easier said than done, right? Because, you know, you don't want to be like, you know, line of text that I'm going to say, plus here's the tone I'm going to say in and and necessarily flag exactly the the emotion that the person's going to have as a response, I suppose, right? You want, to, you want to keep a little bit of mystery, but at the same time, you don't want it to be so like, oh, wow, that's not at all how I predicted this to go, which which certainly some games have failed at um, from my own experience. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I, I've definitely felt that emotion of like, oh, that that did not come off as how I would have intended. Yes, I experienced that at the start of the year when I played through Obsidian's RPG Alpha Protocol, which that was back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where it's not the case in Baldur's Gate, but for a lot of those narrative-driven RPGs, they started introducing time limits to making your decision because i think developers thought that that sort of it heightened the experience it heightened the stakes so like you just you had to quickly make decisions of what your reaction was to be and i guess well arguably that is creating a more authentic decision because you're thinking on your feet you're making these split second decisions which heightens the tension but to your point it can lead to yourself making unintended consequences and reducing your um well your reputation with particular characters because you've you've made a comment that you didn't think would offend them that apparently offended them because it went against the character traits that are ingrained in them which you didn't realize the decision you were going to make was going to do so i do agree that developers can do more of a um better job at but at the same time, it is, like you say, it's a balance. You don't want to be too explicit and ruin any of the mystery to, like, have all the minutiae of if you make this decision, this is what's going to happen. But at the same time, you don't want it to be opaque that you may, you don't really know what's going to happen when you make a bit of a, or when you make a decision and it becomes a bit of a, I guess, roll of the dice of, oh, the character will say this and, why will happen or as some games will do it will and i think there's some bioware games that do it that it will flag like the traits of the different decisions like one will be like the the evil choice and one will be like the lawful choice and and things like that so there's some ways that games try to navigate that 
I guess, choice outcome paradigm. But I, I do understand at the same time why there are gamers that will then reload saves and the like if they make a choice and it's not the outcome they want. And, like, should should developers remove that ability? Should developers, I guess, in some ways, like, lock you into sort of an iron mode-like, um, I guess, straitjacket when it comes to decision-making? I, I think it very much does come down to what sort of experience the developers are trying to create. And if there's a shorter narrative experience and the entire game is based around the narrative and the choices are what really drives the game, what makes that game unique and stand apart, then I'm personally not opposed to developers putting in those um, um, restrictions because if it's restrictions can be a game design choice in themselves. So I think it, it is quite valid. Yes, that will alienate some people in the player base. That will empower some people in the player base. And these are the choices that publishers and or developers and publishers have to make for their games. Yeah, I mean, I, this afternoon I was playing uh, Stray Gods, uh, which is the musical uh, sort of visual mm. novel game. Uh, and it's definitely one of those games where the time aspect comes into it for quite a lot of the dialogue choices because... Uh, again, if you don't know about the game, it's it's basically the concept is that you're basically become the Greek goddess of of um, music and art and whatever, and so you can make people sort of sing <laughs> effectively. Uh, but when you're doing it, you want to get out certain dialogue choices which form the lyrics of the song, and it's not you know it's because you're basically ad libbing the song. They do create this tension of like you know this this NPC sings their verse and then you start singing yours and it'll come up with, you know, what do you want to say? And you've got about, you know, 30 seconds to to pick. And I think that's very much an intentional design thing of like, if you're realistically out living a song, you don't have a lot of time to, to uh, sit there and ponder compared to obviously writing a song in your own time and then uh, presenting it to a crowd down the track. So I think it's interesting to think about like, what is the, rationale behind those decisions because i think it's very easy to get frustrated around yeah oh when i only had you know 20 seconds to to do that or decide that uh and i'm very frustrated with the outcome uh but i imagine in some you know well not imagine i mean in a lot of ways that's probably the the point is that they want you to replicate that that experience of that time pressure of of having to make a split second decision or you know and things like um Again, like the, you know, Until Dawn or or the, um, I forget what that series is that they do, that everything's like... Under a Dark the, Pictures the, anthology. Yes, yes, Dark Pictures. And it's like, you know, they're, they're horror for the most part as well. And so that element of like, well, it's horror, panic is kind of a key aspect to, to that. Uh, you can sort of see why stylistically they do put in those things that could cause in a less optimal outcome that's kind of the point behind it and I guess that's a long-winded way of getting to the next thing I want to sort of delve into is if someone is sort of by default a save scammer like that's just their standard approach to any of these narrative decision-making experience games are they inherently kind of robbing themselves of a particular experience that you can only have by I guess playing the game quote-unquote as intended and 
being forced to live with the decisions or lack of decision in some case or the mistaken decision that you make uh, that you can't have if you can always approach every single game the same way of like I'm always going to go back and uh, either redo my decision or I'm going to go back and see the outcome of each decision and then pick the one I like the best or research in advance, of course. Well, now I can go in depth and talk about Fire Emblem, which I did foreshadow earlier in this episode because this is probably the area where I am most guilty of save scamming because those who don't know, Fire Emblem is a strategy RPG developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo, and has been released in the West since the early 2000s. The first game was on the GBA, and uh, I played that many, many times, many, many hundreds of hours I put into that game. And I recall that the first time I attempted a playthrough of that game, I I think I, I got to a point in the game where I couldn't progress anymore, any further. The, the game was too hard. The, the characters I had left uh, weren't sufficient in clearing the challenges. That is a game that traditionally... If a, if a character dies during one of the chapters, which are strategy RPG maps, that that character is gone from your playthrough. Sometimes they still exist for, from a story capacity if they are integral to the game's narrative, but you can no longer choose that for uh, your battles. So you can lose quite, I guess, and not all characters are going to be the same class, have the same growth stats, be of the same um, quality. So whilst... Fire Emblem and games of its ilk generally do do provide you with a lot of new characters. You'll be able to recruit characters along the journey and in many ways replace the characters you've lost. It's not necessarily going to be a like-like trade. And there's the other element of, well, you might be emotionally attached to some of the characters more than others. So if you lose that character... Like you might be distraught. You might be, you might think, well, I'm going to reload and try again and try to get through that chapter without losing any of my characters. And from what what I find in that circumstance is, it does change the way you play those types of games because you, of course, become a lot more conservative in your um, in your strategy you employ. You you won't think that oh, I can sacrifice a character because well, they'll be back the next chapter. It might make it a little harder to get through the chapter I'm currently on, but it's not a, it's not a, I guess, a final loss. It's not a, it's not a life and death decision per se you have to make um, between those, uh, getting through that chapter at all costs or getting through that chapter, um, but without losing anyone. So that does change how you play the game. I've sort of, and I guess, Fire Emblem's an interesting example because the developers have, in recent entries over the last 10 years, implemented design choices that in some ways removes the impetus to save scum. So firstly, when you put, when you start any Fire Emblem game now, you have a choice between having, I guess, for better, for lack of a better term, playing it in Iron Man mode. So Iron Man mode, um, not not I'm in mode for Fire Emblem, actually. That's probably relevant for some other games we can talk about. But playing it with the option that if you lose a character in a chapter, well, they'll be available in the next chapter. It's not a it's not permadeath. That's the term I'm looking for. You can play it in permadeath or play it without permadeath. Playing it with permadeath, arguably, I guess, 
for some people heightens the experience because, well, they'll argue that the design choices of the developers is for permadeath because you can recruit those characters throughout the game. And if you have your core team that you invested everything in, that's the team you choose for every uh, chapter because you have a, you can only take a certain amount of characters into each chapter that in some ways you're limiting your experience by not playing in permadeath. On the other hand, and I fall into this category often, I will still choose permadeath, but then I often find myself, I often found myself still reloading because I'm like, well, I didn't want to lose that character. It's still too early in the game. This might impact me from finishing the game successfully. Though when I was playing through Final Awakening towards the end of the game, when I knew I was in the final chapters, I did stop save scumming because I knew I was so close to the end and I didn't really, in some ways, it became a bit of a resource management for me of, well, do I try to get through the game with all the characters alive and you will get some bonus texts of what those characters do after the game in the end credits? Or do I just want to get through the game and finish the game and see the ending, which I chose that and I think it was the right choice I made in that circumstance. To wrap this long monologue about Fire Emblem off, the the second um, gameplay design they've implemented in the last few games is in um, Fire Emblem Three Houses and the most recent game, Engage, is that there's an in-game item that allows you to rewind turns. So, yes, you can only use that a certain amount of times for each chapter. In, in Engage, you can use it 10 times. That effectively allows you to save scum without save scumming. It's become a gameplay mechanic in that if you move a unit in a particular um, to a particular square and the subsequent enemy turn it's wiped out, the character dies. Well, you can go back, put, put, you can go back and make a different choice. You can move that unit to a different position and see what happens. So, I think that's an interest. I think that's quite a ingenious way they've come up with i guess reconciling the different way people play because that is an optional mechanic if you're dead set on permadeath as this is how you want to play the game well you don't have you you can decide not to use the rewind feature you can decide to play it out as whatever will be will be and it is still it's and there are limits on it still but you can only use it 10 times so it it gets to a point where the decision you'll have to make is, well, do I save scum for real now or do I now play it out that I've had these 10 chances? I guess the nine lives plus one of a cat and, like, I've still lost a unit. Do I just see what... Do I just continue on now? So I think that's a very interesting example of a lot of the moving parts of the topic we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I could sort of talk to another similar game but not quite the same... uh which is like the Pikmin games, because uh, I just beat Pikmin four probably, well, probably almost a month ago now. But anyway, uh, and <laughs> oh, still, uh, still in recent memory, still very much in recent memory. But uh, you know, Pikmin not necessarily quite the same as Fire Emblem, where your troops or your Pikmin in this case, which are little plant dudes that you uh, grow and build a, an army of, uh, um, they're not as unique as a Fire Emblem character. Uh, you know, losing a red Pikmin can be replaced by hundreds more of them and they're, they're all functioning the same and look the same. But uh, certainly there isn't an emotional element to just losing a character versus, you know, losing 
a generic resource or a, or a health uh, or whatever it may be, or a life in a, in a game, right? It's just, uh, you know, they talked about that in a, in a recent developer interview with, with Miyamoto and the Pikmin team around how the, like the morality of the Pikmin is kind of what makes that experience so special. Um, despite the fact it does mean some people get uh, inc- very stressed about the losing even a single little guy. But yeah, you know, in the you know, first three games, if you had an incident where you lost a lot of Pikmin or even just one, if that's your your threshold for how many you're willing to lose, um, it was not uncommon for people to to save scum and and go back because Pikmin's sort of done by days. Like you have every day is about I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes. I'm not sure exactly uh, how long they go for. But, you know, if you had a particularly bad day, you would just not save and, and start that whole day again. Um, and then in Pikmin 3, they specifically built in a sort of day retry feature if, if you just want to. So they can turn on the uh, in-game ability to do it, not just having to press the reset button on your GameCube as you used to do. And then now in Pikmin 4, they've brought in that rewind feature, which you just mentioned, Brendan, which uh, allows you to rewind, you know, potentially a few minutes within a single day to a certain sort of... I don't know, the game just picks, I guess, certain points that it feels uh, it, it, uh, certain milestones, I guess. So you don't even have to lose that whole 20, 30 minutes of progress. You could lose, at, you know, at most one or two. And it's interesting to see how by even just implementing those features, which kind of feels like a way of getting a a, a authorized, you know, official uh, seal of approval to, to, to do it, right? Like it feels, something in my mind feels way better or like way less like I'm cheating by using an inbuilt feature to a game than uh, just restarting the game myself, if that makes sense. Uh, but it certainly does change the way you play because, you know, previously maybe you'd be particularly cautious around, oh, I really don't want to lose any Pikmin or I really don't want to lose maybe my purple Pikmin or my white Pikmin, which are particularly hard to gather. I'm going to have to really think, you know, how, what is this enemy? I've seen it for the first time. I have no idea how it's going to attack me. I need to think pretty hard about how I approach this to try and not have a loss. Now it's very much like, I'm just going to go in and see what happens. And if it goes badly, I'll at least learn something. I'm just going to hit that rewind button and then I'll go in again, (laughs) which is just really interesting to see how, I guess, either by accepting that you're happy to save scum um, or taking advantage of these features and and, uh, tools that are now becoming, I think, more prevalent uh, in games because uh, I think developers realise that it takes a certain level of patience or a certain type of person to, I guess, just forge on and and not um, live with the consequences of the mistakes they make or the actions they take. Uh, and their preference is people finish the game and enjoy it and not necessarily that they have to, I guess, play it as intended. Uh, but because of those, it sort of, it, it certainly changes the experience, I guess, is what I can directly observe from my own gameplay habits with Pikmin. I mean, I, I haven't played as much Fire Emblem as you, but I, I'm sort of definitely similar where, you know, when I was playing the the GameCube one, I was um, it was always a choice of like, did I really care about that character? Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to, you know, think about whether I restart from from the day and not save or, um, but then on the more recent ones, I've just turned on the, the non-permadeath mode and I'm, I don't stress too hard and I just let my 
you know, I, I do a lot more kamikaze style uh, um, plays, if that makes sense, because yes. I'm not as bothered by it. Yeah, it's, again, it's just a, whereas, you know, it, um, otherwise that would be otherwise unheard of, I think, in Fire Emblem. Like, you, you'd almost never do a kamikaze because of just how big of an impact that has on the rest of the game. It's it's not just that one instance, but as you said, the that character's gone <laughs> until the until the until the end credits and you start again. There's some interesting parallels here to the question of difficulty, which we've done a great uh, episode in the early days of blowing cartridges on the difficulty of games and more well, hard games versus so-called simple casual games and that whole dichotomy. But what, why I want to raise it again is I think it is pertinent to games that, and I briefly touched on the concept uh, previously, games that offer Iron Man modes because I think in those cases that they are providing a unique particular experience, an experience that the game developers want players to experience. And I do think that the, or and it's, I guess you can briefly say that, well, developers have figured it out because in most cases it's an option that when you're starting a playthrough of a game, you can decide whether you want to play with Iron Man mode on or off. And that will dictate whether you can save scum or not. If you play with Iron Man on, then well, you're not going to be able to save scum. You're locked into the decisions you're making. And I think of games like, well, your Diablos where Iron Man is literally, well, if you die, your entire save file is gone. Goodbye. That you've, uh, like, yes, you might have invested 40 hours in this character, but it's dead now because you died and start again. And there's some, for lack of a better term, there's some hardcore fans and players of that game that that's how they want to play it. They, they get value out of it. They they get an enjoyment out of it. And, and they think that that's the best way of playing the game. And my comment to them would be, well, all the more power to you. You play how you want to play. It's great that the developers have allowed, created that experience that you're enjoying. And for me, one that I, probably the one I've played without save scumming because I lock myself away from save scumming is when I play the XCOM series of games, which I will always play on Iron Man mode. And unlike Fire Emblem, you can't, if you've ticked Iron Man mode, well, you can't save scum. If you, close the game and reload and effectively or it's constantly auto saving to a degree so you'll basically be back to where you um, exited the game you won't be able to redo decisions for the most part so and i find in not particularly in xcom it is and i've had playthroughs of xcom that have effectively effectively i've had to abandon because due to the difficulty during the situation i put myself in i can't get any further but I find that heightens the tension of the game, that heightens the overall experience. It sort of, it goes to the heart of what that game is, which is, well, you're reacting to an alien invasion or in the sequel, a successful alien invasion. You're the resistance. You have finite resources. You're against a, you're against a superior um, opponent that those are the choices you have to make. You, you might lose units, you might lose characters that you've invested a lot of time and resources in, but you've successfully hit the objective. You've um, you've got through what you needed to get through. So that trade-off might have been like okay for a lack of a better term. You might be able to keep on carrying on, and uh, that makes your choices more impactful. It makes the decisions you're making more impactful. It makes the cost and reward of what you're doing in the game just more rewarding. So 
it does come down to that battle and we're keeping going back to it, but it does come down to there's that dichotomy between, well, the developers will have a vision of how they want their game to play the so-called optimal way of playing their game. But on the other hand, they do want to make their games accessible. They want to empower player choice. They want to allow players to play it in different ways. And yes, I think there is more of an acceptance these days on having developer-led player experiences. You see that in your From Software games that are difficult games by their nature. They don't have easy modes. They don't have casual modes. And gamers know that going in and they have to make that decision of, well, is this a sort of game? Is this a sort of experience I want to play? I want to enjoy If they've tried one of the games in the past and haven't enjoyed it, well, they can make the informed decision of, well, I'm not going to play another From Software game because those are hard games that I do not enjoy. Uh, That's not the sort of gameplay experience I want to have. So I will pass on the game. And well, those are games that have enough cachet, uh, good enough that people will play and are successful doing, filling the niche that they are in. And, and that's a great thing. So it is an interesting topic. And I think it does go back to the wider topic of, well, should a game be made for the broadest audience possible or should it be made for a particular niche? And well, ultimately that, that is a financial um, question in many ways, because I don't know about you, but as a gamer, there are plenty enough games for me to enjoy for multiple lifetimes. I don't need to be able to play and enjoy every single game that releases. I, I, I think it's, it's absolute, it's chimerical to think that, well, every game should be made in a way that is accessible to me and I will enjoy as much as any other game because, well, that's not how taste works. That's not how enjoyment works. We all have different perspectives of what we, what we like, what we enjoy. This came up much earlier in what you were saying, but I do want to still bring it up. I was thinking a lot about Pokemon because that's definitely a series where probably the word save scum's not used very often, but people will say soft resetting, which is, you know, effectively yes. what save scumming is. Because I'm, I'm sure we've all done it. If you played a Pokemon game, you save in front of the legendary Pokemon and you um, uh, reset if you stuff it up. Um, or yes. if you're a more hardcore player, uh, you're probably resetting because it didn't have the right nature or the right idea. It wasn't shiny. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see how like Game Freak, the developers have responded to that in some ways. Like it's certainly with like the starters, right? Like, again, it wasn't uncommon in the old games um, to see people once they knew that what shinies were, where they would spend their entire, say, you know, day, games just come out, you've picked it up, you're excited. They spend maybe all day, soft resetting hundreds of times until their starter is shiny uh so they've sort of responded in the recent games where they just don't allow your original starter to be shiny because they kind of like we don't really want you sitting there soft resetting for hours on end uh because as much as people like oh but it's my choice um if you've ever watched a stream of someone soft resetting for a shiny they they are not. They generally are frustrated and not enjoying themselves. They, they, yes, there's the euphoria when the shiny appears, but like they'd be lying to you uh, if they said they enjoyed that entire multi-hour session of, of uh, trying to get the shiny starter. Bit easier maybe if you're a big Twitch streamer and making money from doing it. But that's you know if you're doing it over your own personal accord, not so much. So it's interesting to see, yeah, how developers do think about these kinds of behaviors and what they do to try and decentivize them. 
but also why I thought Pokemon was interesting because it's like come back to your Iron Man mode. It's like on one hand, you've got all these players who really want to be able to soft reset and do this kind of stuff. Then you've got people doing Nuzlocke runs where they're like, I want I want the opposite. I mm. want my Iron Man mode for Pokemon where I can, I don't, you know, a Pokemon faints, it's gone permanently, which is effectively, yeah, like it's a, you know, inbuilt Fire Emblem basically. Um, but yeah, just, just really interesting to see how even in games where, you wouldn't traditionally think too hard about these concepts. It's quite, a, you know, it, it, people are still finding ways to kind of pseudo implement those aspects themselves in some ways, which I just find really, really fascinating. And I guess it comes down to that point as well as sort of saying around how, you know, obviously just play it the way you want to play it as long as you're not harming anyone, but uh, also showing how there is value as a developer to, to cater to both, you know, in, 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 in some potentially official ways, if you can, I think, you know, certainly having those options to have those more, you know, the other, there's another term for Iron Man mode. I feel like I've heard, but I can't remember what it is, but it makes me, um, but either way, I'll just, I'll keep using it. Um, cause I can't think of what the alternative is, but yeah, those, those in building those in some ways could be just as important as, building in abilities to rewind or reset uh, within the game itself. But uh, you probably, I don't see it as often as I do see people making more concessions to make the game, I guess, a little less frustrating to get through, which is, um, yeah, just interesting sort of little observation after hearing what you were just talking about. Yes, I think the only two terms I can think of off the top of my head are, well, Iron Man and Permadeath. Those are the only. Yeah. There might be a third, but I can't think of it I, I, right I, now. I think where I'm get, I'm just. I think I'm confusing with like there's like there was that trend of YouTube. It's probably still a thing on YouTube where in survival games people call it like hardcore mode. Where oh like, yes yeah 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 you get a group of ten people playing Minecraft and you die you're out of the you're out of the let's play basically kind of thing. But I think that's that's probably more unique to youtube or you know twitch content versus uh a general playthrough because i can't imagine it's too fun if you have 10 mates over and um as soon as one of them dies they just have to sit there for the rest of the day while the rest of you (laughs) keep playing minecraft (laughs) um maybe i'm wrong i haven't tried it but i can't imagine that's great fun nuzlocke's an interesting example you bring up because it does go to the heart of the concept of save scumming because it's player engineered dynamics that the players themselves are introducing to the game. So unless it's explicitly put in measures like we've discussed that stop you from save scumming, save scumming is entirely the decision of the player. Like Nuzlocke is creating arbitrary rules that the player is adhering to where there's nothing within the game itself that is actually forcing you down the path of a Nuzlocke run, that you're making those decisions of, well, these are the parameters I've designed for my Nuzlocke run, and those can vary depending on how serious you're taking it or not. And um, because it's all different, as you know, there's a whole different manner of different parameters, like how often you can catch new Pokemon, and well, on, like I guess the basis of all, if a, if a Pokemon thinks it's gone, you release it from your box, whatever, is pretty set. But there's other things around it that can change depending on what you want to do. And save scumming is exactly the same in that, well, whether you save scum or not is entirely up to the player. It's it's often not, and Baldur's Gate might be one of the um, examples of where the developer does make some comments. They do have, I guess, thoughts on people playing the game in that particular way. And there's, I guess they have a vision of 
this is how we've designed the game. This is how we think players should experience it. But player agency in its own right, I think, is something that should be fostered. If if people want to create arbitrary rules to play a game and they find enjoyment out of it, they find fulfillment out of it, people are watching streams and YouTube videos of them doing it, then, well, that's a positive thing. And I think even though Pokemon developers have, like, as you mentioned, made changes to remove resetting for shiny starters and the like, I think it's good that developers aren't stopping people playing the game of how they've decided is a fun way to experience and play the game. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that's also, it is important also now that I think distinguish, there's, there's kind of like different, we've gone through a few of the reasons for why safe scumming occurs. And one of the ways I think where the Boulder's Kate situation probably differs from a lot of others. And again, I think I want to, the reason, reason I want to highlight is because I think there will be a lot of people who are already playing Boulder's Gate, or if not, are thinking about it. Um, or if not, maybe listening this 10 down to the track and you're thinking of another cool CRPG which has similar mechanics, uh, Baldur's Gate 4 maybe, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, if I think about, like, another topic, sorry, another time I hear a lot about saves coming recently is, uh, again, probably because I play so much Nintendo stuff, but with the Switch Online, they build in that ability to rewind or, you know, load multiple save um, states of, of a game. You know, you also do that in an emulator, but let's, you know, I'll get into that discussion. And I think they causes a bit of frustrating of like, oh, back in my day, I had to like, you know, beat Earthbound with, with no save states. And if I got bad RNG, too bad, blah, 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 versus kids these days just rewind and change things up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That to me is more about like, there's a very linear outcome to this. And it's more just people being frustrated that, kids today have a more simpler path to achieving that linear outcome. Um, and it's purely just a, then a point of, you know, personal pride and what your own sort of, what goal you want to achieve, you know, do you want to achieve beating a, you know, the original Mario brothers, the way it was back in the eighties, or are you just happy just to get through that game and sort of have a, an experience firsthand of, of playing through it, even if that means, resetting a, 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 a you know a safe state when you lose all your lives rather than having to start mm. the whole game again but then with Baldur's gate where it's i think quite unique and this is probably true of a handful of other games with such broad branching paths is the decision or outcome of something you do at the start of the game may seem initially frustrating but you also don't know what opportunities or changes or uniqueness is going to permutate towards the end of the game and you know it sounds from what i can tell quite a long game and i think that's why i think it's it's worth i guess stopping and thinking about if you are usually someone who does go back and redo things a lot thinking about is it worth reconsidering for a game like this maybe i give at least one playthrough a shot without doing it because you don't know what kind of doors you're going to unlock by just letting the consequences play out. And I think that's something that people maybe don't always realize or is present in these branching narrative games. Or if they do, they don't think hard enough about around how far could that particular rabbit hole go. Because I think there's something really cool about, like, I'm, I'm quite excited about, you know, next time we catch up, if either of us have managed to get our groups to play another session of Baldur's Gate, sort of hearing about 
what outcomes happen to you at similar pivot points and sort of seeing how different our experiences are. Because I think that's quite quite a unique way to talk about a game versus, you know, just saying, oh, how cool was the last boss in this game? And like Elden Ring, oh, how cool was that last boss? You know, maybe we'll talk about how hard we found it or how our builds worked, but it's still the same last boss. Whereas, you know, I can imagine by the end of our Baldur's Gate 3 playthroughs, we'll be in very different... <laughs> different states of that world um, just based on how that game is structured. So I think it is worth considering, I guess, if you are usually a, a resetter or a save scummer, maybe give a crack to to not and just living with your decisions just to see how that shakes out. I agree because there's an element of these are games that are designed to be replayed. I think a lot of the work that Larian Studios have put into Baldur's Gate 3 is that, sure, we keep on going back to the uh, factor that, yes, this is a long game. I don't even know how long playthroughs are taking because it's out. It, it's been out for not that long. I'm sure there's people that have finished the main story already and it probably is, I don't know, 60, 70 hours or what have you. But well, they have designed it in a way of, because it's so built around different choices you can make, it's built around narrative branches and the like, it's built around, well, if you make this decision these quests are going to be available. These side quests are going to be available. You'll meet these particular characters. If you make that other decision, you'll none of that will be available to you, but probably there'll be a whole range of different other opportunities available to you and open to you and like you're experiencing a completely different path. And like you said, Zach, that then we can and other people we know that are playing the game, we can have these dialogues about, oh, it was so like interesting and also um, fast. It, it was so cool when I did this and this was the outcome. And you'll say, Oh, when I've reached that point, like I did this other thing and all these other things happened. Or you might say that, Oh, I actually didn't even encounter that point of the game that I didn't even know that existed. I was off doing something else or I completely did it. I decided not to go to that part of the map. So I never saw any of that stuff, but I still finished a playthrough. So I think that's part of the appeal. That's part of the strength of these games. It's not necessarily... And sure, the gameplay holds up. The gameplay does interesting things and there's some solid core mechanics there, but it's not really... Like, that's not the be-all be and end-all of the game. It's The game is... The appeal and the enjoyment of the game is something else entirely. And the other part I want to quickly mention about this equation is that, yes... There's this idea, and it's always at the back of your mind, that this is a long game. I might not play it again, that I need to reset and save scum and like do the optimal build. But, well, I'd say that doing that is prolonging the period of the game. It's making your playthrough longer. And if you, I guess, get addicted to save scumming, well, you're massively prolonging the game. And I've found myself do that in Fire Emblems in the past, that a playthrough of a Fire Emblem game has turned out to be 100 hours because I've reset chapters so many times to get that optimal route to avoid losing any of my characters that I've spent so many um, so many hours on the game. And yes, you might say as a gamer, well, that's my choice. I want to get the optimal route. I want to play it how I want to play it. But at the same time, you're robbing yourself from experiencing all the different things the game offers you. And I think that's particularly pertinent in a game like Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. No, that, that's very true. I mean, yeah, God. Yeah, if I think about, like, yeah, Fire Emblem is such a good example. You said I've worked, my playthrough time on a um, 
almost like a system counter if, if my system has one versus uh, what the in-game counter could be wildly different due to just <laughs> yes. times I've reset or done something, which is, uh, yeah, something you don't always remember when you're you're doing these things, um, but is is quite important. But yeah, I mean, look, I think I think that's we've sort of really covered off. I mean, it all does come back to as we said at the start, they do what makes you happy when you're playing the game. But hopefully, we've at least given you I don't know maybe a few other things to think about when you're going into different types of games. Because again, as we've covered off, while there is a large focus on RPGs or narrative games, there are other circumstances where you might find yourself having to make a decision on whether you want to reset and, and save scum or use save states or whatever method of choice it is that you have available to you to uh, effectively rewind time uh, in your game. Uh, hopefully this has given you a bit more to chew on and think about if you have always stuck to a particular way. Uh, on the flip side, you know, if you're someone who doesn't save state and doesn't, sorry, save scum, um, maybe there's some thoughts around is there a, is it worth giving it a shot for a game in the future, you know, what type of experience you'll have by doing so then and seeing if maybe it does make it more fun for you. I don't know. I can't, I find the argument for that or the logic behind that probably weaker in a sense because you've, you've probably, if you've thought about what you benefits you get from it, you've probably done it, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you haven't realized that you can, you can, you can uh, just not save and go back. Maybe that thought's never occurred to you. So maybe this has been your awakening to, uh, <laughs> to, to that, to that world. Um, in which case um, I'll be curious to see how, what, what, what that new world's like for you. <laughs> do, do modern consoles still have reset buttons? Probably not. Right. I don't think so. Um, GameCube might have been the last one with one, I reckon. Because did I don't know? Did the Wii did the Wii have one? I can't remember. And did the PS2 original Xbox have reset buttons? I'm not sure. I, I the, the GameCube and the 64 are the ones I remember the most. Yeah, the so 64 yeah. one particularly because um, I fixed it eventually. But for many years, the 64 my brother had. I don't know how, but it kind of got jammed with grime and like dust and the like, so it actually didn't work anymore. But I was able to open up the console and uh, clean it out, and it actually does work again. So that's the that's the main reason why I know there's a reset button on the 64. Yeah, and plus it's just like big, like uh, not something that's like a hidden little button at the back of the system. It's 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 like a same size as the power button, basically. And I, and I guess that was probably more the rationale that sometimes, well, back in those days, games could break, and that you needed a quick way of or rebooting it without turning it on and off. Yeah, 100%. Whereas these days, games just break and you're stuck until they patch it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe you've decided to listen to this podcast and you go, God, that was a waste of time. Unfortunately, life does not have an ability to save scum. You can't go back. So we appreciate that you've stuck with us and listened to this entire episode because that's a decision you can't undo. Uh, and hopefully you feel positive about it and not negative like that initial example I just gave. I don't know why I started with assuming you felt that you wasted your time, but uh, maybe that's just my um, self-confidence levels being at a low. But uh, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this a bit more, you know, lighthearted, a bit less serious uh, topic of the day, a little less intense, hopefully. Um, uh, and speaking of intense and the world of social media, which I feel is getting more and more intense with every waking week that we record our podcast 
um, was probably a very prominent one making radical decisions to get rid of block buttons and the like and whatnot in recent days. Uh, Brendan, if people want to reach out to us, where can they do so? Well, if people want to reach out to us, we are still on the platform formerly known as Twitter X. You can find us at Blowcart Pod. You can find me at Tamazoid. You can find Zach at Eggerino. Uh, you can find us via email. I don't. We never really receive emails except spam and uh, angry emails about paying hosting fees and the <laughs> like. Uh, but that is blowing cartridge podcast at gmail.com. We don't have that S. We'll never have the S. Uh, we're on Facebook at Blowcart Pod. And that's all for the socials. But if you do like us, do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on any podcasting service you use that allows you to leave reviews. I don't. I think there's a few now these days that do let you do that. So we'd appreciate the exposure. Uh, force your friends or acquaintances and or enemies to listen to our podcast. And remember, listeners, and we actually did not mention it throughout the episode, which I'm very surprised, but... As Mr. Rossetti says, life cannot be reset. Thank you for listening. Yeah, man, I don't know how we didn't think about Mr. Rossetti. I guess in my mind, I just always carved Animal Crossing out as like, it's a weird one. Like you could spend 30 minutes unpacking like, is that a multiplayer game or is it not? Because yes. and like, does, yeah, it's, it's like does resetting like on one hand, you could just play it by yourself and it impacts no one. On the other hand, you could use resetting to like, I don't know, do some weird shit and then like flood the, the turnip market with with heaps of turnips or just like heaps of bells. Like I don't, it's, it's, it's too halfway house between a, uh, an MMO and with an economy and a single player game with no economy of, of note. Uh, anyway. But, um, but I think it's interesting in the terms of, well, these are the choices developers have made. They don't want you to, as you say, ruin the in-game economy, flood the market or basically break the game that they identified pretty early on that, well, if players do save scum in this game, you break the game. Because was yeah. it a was it a thing for the original Animal Forest, the Japanese game on sixty four, or was it only with the GameCube game, which did have some multiplayer functionality? No, yeah, I don't know. Hold on, let me just gonna Google Mister Rossetti. It's gonna have to have like a a Nookopedia page or something, and it will tell me his first game. I'm sure, right? Surely. Here we go. Appearances. Yeah, Animal Forest. So, yeah, he must have been in that. Oh. Yeah, looks like he was. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that he, that does come down to developer choice then. So that, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. But on the, the flip side, New Horizons, he's just, like, out of a job, which I find hilarious because of the autosave. But uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I didn't finish. I didn't stop the recording, so this can be the post-episode. The bonus, yeah. Rumblings. <laughs> I'll stop it.